Welcome to the First Church Podcast, a resource of First Church of God in Columbia City, Indiana. Our goal is to provide you with tools that you can use to help you in your new or growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I am Jordan Chapel, the middle school pastor here at First Church of God. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to listen in on a conversation that I had with Dr. John Swanson and learn what it means to have a love of another kind in regards to how we care for each other as we walk through difficult situations. I hope this conversation is as encouraging for you as it was for me. Welcome to the podcast. I am joined by uh, Dr. John Swanson, who a lot of us here at the church have had the pleasure to uh, sit in on some of his classes as we participate in a um, local graduate program uh, over in Fort Wayne. So we're really thankful for uh, him to join us on this episode of the podcast. And uh, John, why don't you just talk about yourself a little bit? I know that's an uncomfortable thing to do sometimes, uh, but just because no one else is going to know you, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jordan. I'm um, married for, I just realized that it's 35 years we're coming up on. Um, Nancy and I have been married that long. We've got two kids, uh, adult and both married. Um, I spent first half of my career, about 15 years working in higher education, and then the second half of my career, another 15, 16 years working as uh, an executive pastor in a couple of congregations. And now in the third half of my career, I'm working as a hospital chaplain and then also doing teaching and doing some consulting in a couple of environments. You realize that's three halves? Yes, I do. Okay, just, just making sure. You mentioned that you are now a, a chaplain at a hospital, and that's particularly why we wanted to have you in for this episode, um, because as we sat in on some of the classes, uh, it became very apparent uh, in the topic of care and congregational care and caring for one another, that as we learn to do it as people who kind of cover issues like this for a living, um, and that's just a part of our roles here at the church, that we thought it would be very valuable for our people to understand the concept of care and care for one another. Because I think that um, as we look into care, it can be expanded to a much broader audience and uh, we can better and more fulfill the role of the church if we are caring for one another in this way. Um, so as we as we dig into this topic and, and kind of conversation of care, how would you define care? Um, I struggle with definitions because lots of times we can use them as opportunities to argue uh, and decide, okay, this counts as caring and then this doesn't count as caring. But as I thought about it, um, and then looking at a couple of biblical concepts, I think that a way to look at caring is to consider the needs of another person um, and those can be physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, all kinds of needs. Um, so to consider the needs of another person, to discern my role in meeting those needs, um, and then doing as much of my role as I can. And the reason that I emphasize my role and emphasize discerning is that um, we are created by God with different capacities, different interests, different strengths, different weaknesses. And um, God invites us to use how he has built us and equipped us um, to meet the needs of other people. And the assumption is that not all of us, um, 
no one of us can meet all the needs of another person. Um, and that, in fact, is why we have community, um, because different people have different capacities for meeting the needs of other people. Um, the Part of what shapes that definition is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, in the, um, that's a case where there is a man coming along um, and he sees somebody in need. And when um, Jesus says that he cares for the man, um, he doesn't try to meet his spiritual needs. Um, he doesn't try to meet his emotional needs. In that moment, the guy's beat up and bleeding. And so he anoints him with oil, not in some spiritual way, but he puts medicinal oil on his wounds and he carries him to an inn and then he says to the people there care for him and so the idea of caring there the, the underlying word is that we are giving our attention we are thinking about and looking at the needs of another person um, with the assumption that we're going to try and help meet those needs and that gives a really beautiful picture of the body of Christ that, that is talked about in Scripture. And um, there's a lot of different roles, but I think you brought up something that was really interesting. There's an assumption that, oh, that's not my job, or I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't have those giftings to be able to care for someone. Um, and I think that comes up a lot of times, especially in pastoral roles. Uh, people in the congregation will look to us as pastors and say, well, I'm, I'm kind of putting that off on you. Why do you think that tendency is so easy for people? Um, I would love to say that it's lazy, but I don't think that it's lazy because I think that people genuinely, genuinely care about other people. When you look at somebody hurting, you care, but you don't want to do the wrong thing. And we are so terrified of doing the wrong thing that often we don't do anything. And the, the, thing that's, um, the thing that's really hard about this is the, the assumption that we as trained professionals know what to do um, isn't true either. Um, the other day, I was standing in the hospital next to a man as the doc said that um, they were going to have to stop doing chest compressions on his wife. And so right after that, then, I'm sitting with this man, having no idea what to say, now that his wife has just died fairly suddenly. And um, I know that I'm supposed to know, but that's a really hard thing. And I think that the more we realize that, that all of us face really hard things, and all of us watch other people walking through really hard things. And the expectation isn't that we know all of the answers, because in those moments, there aren't any answers. What matters is that there is somebody sitting next to you. And I'm glad that I was there. But even more than that, I was glad that he had family. And even more than that, I was incredibly grateful that he was um, connected to a congregation that I know is full of people who know how to cook, know how to smile, know how to hug, know how to, a week afterwards, um, call him and say, do you want to go out for coffee and can talk about baseball or whatever. Um, I can be there in that moment, um, but everybody else is needed 
to be part of helping somebody walk through the rest of their life. Because we don't move on, but we have to figure out how to go on. And the way that we go on is with each other. And I'm glad that you defined it like that because care, in my mind, is truthfully a lot wider than um, just the act of praying for someone or sitting for someone. Um, And so it gives people the opportunity who might not have thought of the opportunity before that moment to to say, hey, I can... Um, I can cook a, a meal for this person. I can uh, take them out to coffee like you talked about. Um, so with that in mind, would you say that doing nothing is worse than doing the wrong thing? Or do you think there's, in regards to care, or do you think there's some boundaries inside of there as well? Um, there are a couple of things that come to mind. One, um, doing nothing ever is worse than doing the wrong thing once and being able to move into conversation. And, and so, you know, one of the things that, as a trained professional I do, is as I'm sitting with a family, I will often say to them, yep, this is hard and I'm sorry for your loss. There are going to be lots of people who are very well-meaning, who are going to say stupid things. But they're well-meaning and they're trying to help. And I once had a, um, a mom who had just lost a child when I said, there are going to be lots of people who are going to say really stupid things. And she said, but they mean well, and I'm grateful. Um, and so I think that, that too often we're so afraid of the wrong thing that we don't say anything. And I think that related to that um, is practicing some right things to say. Um, I think that lots of times the reason that we say some of the things that we say is not because the other person is hurting, but because we're hurting. And so we have to figure out how to deal with our own pain, and so that's what drives us in talking with the other person. And, and part of the challenge is um, to go back to that definition. Consider what the needs of that other person are, not what, what are my needs in this moment, but consider what their needs are, and then do what I can to address some part of what their range of needs is. And, um, and to not leave it up to them. Because um, lots of times we'll say, well, if you need anything, tell me. And um, for those of us who are private people, we're just not going to tell you. But if you say, if you need anything, tell me. And um, tomorrow I'm going to bring over this kind of casserole that I know you like. Um, and in a couple of days, I'm going to be sending you a gift certificate for. And um, what I know is that the next time it snows, you're not going to feel like shoveling. Or you may have just lost your shoveler. Or um, um, it's not always just about death. Um, or I know that you're going through this really hard time and life has exploded for you. And so when it snows, just plan on me shoveling. Um, or... When the grass gets long, just plan on me coming to do that. Those, those kinds of things don't, don't add to a person's burden by making them figure out, oh, great, now in my pain, I have to figure out how to help somebody else figure out how to help me. <laughs> it's like, really? So, um, and not everybody can do that, but um, there are enough of us who can respond in the first week there, there are people who can respond in the first hour. 
There are people who can respond in the first week. There are people who can respond in the first month. And there are people in six months who will remember that it was six months ago, and they can respond in that way. We have that in, um, in healthcare. There are EMTs who show up at the moment. There's a hospital emergency room staff. There are surgeons. And then there's also um, 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 staff through the time there. There's also occupational therapists and um, rehab people. And so when we're, te- when we're dealing with a physical trauma, we have in place a series of people who are trained to handle across all the way up to wellness. Well, we can do that same thing in terms of emotional caring for each other, in terms of spiritual caring for each other, um, from that instant moment of crisis all the way through um, um, whatever the new normal is going to be. So we talked about doing, doing something rather than nothing, even if it's the wrong thing. Um, but it can be crucial um, for us to even move in the direction of doing the right thing. In moments uh, of travesty or heartbreak or sorrow, is there anything that is just always off the table as if uh, do not say this, do not do this, um, because it never is the right thing to do? It's going to sound really awful to say um, on a church-related podcast, but almost always... Quoting the verses that we usually quote in those situations should be off the table. I was thinking about it earlier today um, to use as an example. Um, We have this thing from Jeremiah that we quote. um, And we say, but God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to bless you and prosper you. And if you look at the context of that, right before or right after that, God's talking about you're living in exile for 70 years, but when the 70 years is up. And so if we were looking accurately at the text, what we would say is, man, I know that this is just going to go on forever and it's going <laughs> to feel horrible, but God's aware of how horrible. And so too often we take it as, as a really short-term thing. And we neglect that there's the long-term part of it, too. We can identify a number of, of passages of scriptures where we, we throw stuff from Romans 8 at people and all. And I don't think that God's word was meant to be a club. I think that it was meant to be a comfort. And so I think that, that one of the things to do in those moments is to say, God, do you have anything that you want to say through me to this person? So rather than us figuring out what we're supposed to say, if we, ask, if we invite God into that process, um, I think that he's more than happy to speak through us. But it takes us stopping and listening to then, um, to then let him speak through us. I think that it's almost always safe to say, I'm sorry for your loss, and then to shut up. <laughs> That, think, that part is especially important most times. Oh, yeah. I think that it's, um, it's important when somebody says, I don't know why God allowed this to happen, for us to be willing to say, you know what, at this moment, I don't know why either. So I think that we, we feel like we have to defend God in those moments, um, or we're afraid that somebody's going to be struck by lightning for that. And I don't think that's the case. I think that um, lots of times in conversations um, with his disciples, the disciples expressed doubt. 
They expressed uncertainty, and Jesus never struck them with lightning. Um, and so I think that, that we, the more we can slow down, the more we can listen, the more we can um, just sit with somebody, the more we can not ask, how you doing, and switch to, how's it going, um, the more we can let people not feel like they have to entertain us. Um, and the more we can let God answer the questions rather than feeling like we have to answer the questions, the better off we're going to be. When in class, we talked about um, it was kind of shaped like a target, and it referenced um, what people should do in regards to how close they are to a situation. And it was especially uh, helpful for me to think about situations that I've been in or I've seen others in and, um, and how they can go about caring for uh, certain individuals who are impacted directly by the situation as opposed to just kind of on the outskirts. So would you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, if I remember right, it's called the silk ring um, model of care. Um, and what it says is that um, in the middle of a crisis, there is a person. So um, somebody has a cancer diagnosis um, or is in the middle of the process of, of dealing with cancer or has been in an accident or whatever. That person who is at the very middle can say anything they want about how much it hurts to anybody else without being judged, without being whatever. The next ring around are um, the people who are closest to them. It might be a family member, it might be a spouse, it might be a child, it might be a parent. In that next ring, those people get to say anything they want about how hard this is outward, but they can't say it to the person in the middle. So um, a husband can't say to a wife, well, I know that you're the one who's dealing with this, but this is really hard for me, too. Um, because she's the one that's got the body being cut on. So, um, and then as we go out in that ring, um, you end up with um, larger family, extended family, friends, mere acquaintances. And so for somebody who's at that mere acquaintance edge, they can't talk about how much this has disrupted their schedule. Um, as they move in, as they talk to people further in the ring, um, they can say, oh, let me encourage you, let me provide you support. And they can only complain if they have any complaints about their own pain outward. And I think that, that what it relates to is that so often when we are offering comfort, the truth is we're trying to provide, um, we're trying to deal with our own pain, our own fears, our own whatever. But as soon as we tell the other person, the person closer to the circle about our pain, what we're doing is we, they've already got their pain because they have this tremendous pain, this tremendous suffering, this tremendous fear about what's happening in their body. And now they have to be responsible for how that pain makes other people feel. And that's just, that's a burden that, that can't be borne at all. Um, and yet we I hear about it regularly. So, um, And it, it also reminds me um, of something that I should have said back in the list of what not to say. Don't say I know what how this feels, because you don't. Um, there are lots of people who, um, a, way I, a way that I talk about it sometimes is there are lots of people who lose spouses, but nobody has lost your spouse. So 
Um, there are lots of people who have lost children, but nobody's lost your child. So you can find some comfort with people who have gone through similar experiences, but, um, but to say, I know how this feels, is a lie, because we don't know how it feels to have lost the person or have gone through the, thing that, um, the pain that that person's going through. Um, so don't say that. So that, that was especially helpful for me, like I said. Um, care goes inwards as you get closer to the situation, and frustrations and confusion and everything goes outwards as you get farther away from the situation. So we've talked about care in regard to um, primarily negative things that have happened. Um, but how does this conversation shift for... Um, positive things, birth of a baby, marriage, uh, any number of positive things that, that happen, how can we partake in care during the good times and thinking of one another? One of the things that's amazing about, um, about our spiritual life, about the story that God is telling in history, is that God loves parties. So when we look in the Old Testament, at the Old Testament feasts, we have people who get together once a year and celebrate this. And then at another time of the year, they get together and celebrate this. And at another time, they get together and invite everybody and have food. When Jesus tells a number of the parables, a number of the parables are about feasting times. Um, And some people not showing up when they're invited. So... Um, let's invite other people to come. And so I think that the more we can cultivate an environment in which we celebrate, um, we celebrate God, um, we celebrate with each other, um, we look in the mirror and realize that part of what's going on is we're a little bit jealous, so we're not wanting to deal with that jealousy. And at some point we go, you know, forget the jealousy, rejoice. This is a great time for a party, for a celebration. Um, And... I think, that, I think that if more of us spent more time living in the graciousness of God that says you are loved and you are forgiven and you are called into relationship, we would find it more comfortable to celebrate. Um, we would find it more comfortable to get together and have feasts. Um, and they can be feasts as small as you know what, I just heard that you did a great job on that project. Can I buy you coffee? Um, Because we celebrate really big milestones, but it's those little milestones where where we worked really hard. And when somebody can notice those little milestones that we worked really hard on, it, it can make it be fun to be part of the body of Christ. And I think that Jesus wants it to be fun to be part of the body of Christ. With all of that in mind, is there any last uh, remarks you have on what it looks like to care for one another, or best practices when it comes to doing that? Just anything um, that you think uh, our people might uh, benefit from? One of the things is that, um, this can sound really morbid, but the death rate's at 100% now. Um, And so we don't know when, but we know that. And so I think that um, the more we can do to keep short accounts um, in relationships, the more we can do to make sure that um, 
the most recent we had conversation we had with somebody, if it's going to be the last one, was a good one. So I think that being um, that living with a level of intentionality um, that knows that stuff will happen and prepares for it. I think too, um, paying attention to what people um, close to us like and need and want. Um, paying attention to how other people close to us live their lives. Because um, it goes back to that definition of care, which has a, a level of intentionality to it. Um, it's paying attention to what people's needs are, which means paying attention to people. Um, and I think, I think too, as a last piece of advice, um, if we let our care grow out of God's care, um, lots of times when I'm standing praying for somebody, I say um, to God that I'm grateful for um, Jordan's love for you, God. But more than that, I'm grateful for your love for Jordan. Because in any crisis, God loves the person more than we do. Um, and we serve a God who knows what it's like to lose a child. We know what it's like to serve a God who has been abandoned by a father, however briefly. We serve a God who knows what it's like to be betrayed by all of his friends and abandoned by all of his friends. Um, when in Hebrews we read about having a great high priest who understands what it's like to be human. Um, we know that in all of these opportunities for care, both for celebration and for suffering, um, if we remember that we don't have to make it up, we get to talk to God and say, how do you want to help? Um, because of God's deep love for all of us, which far surpasses any of our love for other people. He'll help, because he loves to do that, because among his names is Comforter and Counselor and Mighty God. Um, and this is related, but it's tying back. Lots of times we think about what do we do in big moments, and the reality is most of our lives are not big moments. Most of our lives are um, small moments, a fabric of care woven together. And so the more conversations we have, the more touches we have, even in non-crisis moments, the more likely we are to have the relationships that will be helpful in those big crisis moments as well. Um, so even um, acknowledging other people as human beings as you walk through the hallway in church, um, even if you don't know each other's names, you've seen each other's face. Or as you see each other um, in, um, outside the church building, um, to, to have touches, to say, hey, to any of that kind of stuff just builds this foundation of relationship that then is helpful for um, moments of care in crisis to be built on. And you're not having to worry about um, um, having no credibility in those moments. Because um, to take this back to the very beginning, we were talking about those of us who are trained professionals. As a chaplain, I'll show up um, in my hospital. Chaplains show up for all traumas and all um, heart attacks and all um, strokes. And so we show up um, to do some bureaucratic kinds of things, to do some official kinds of things. But anytime in those moments I find that somebody has a congregational connection, I am thrilled because there's only so much I can do. But if, but if I can make a phone call and say, um, yep, um, your people at First Church, they're going to be there for you. 
Um, watching what happens on people's faces when I tell them that is huge. So, um, so building that fabric for those moments of crisis is, is a really important thing. Because um, pastors aren't everywhere, chaplains aren't everywhere, but the body of Christ is. So be specific about uh, what you're going to do. Be willing to receive care. Um, do something, even if it's uh, you're not quite sure it's the wrong thing and, or the right thing, instead of doing nothing, uh, because at least the wrong thing can open up a conversation of, hey, I care about you, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, and, and what can I do for you? Um, and when it comes to situations, make sure that um, you are providing care the closer you get to the situation and, and not... Uh, not draining energy as you move in uh, those circles that we talked about and then don't don't overestimate or underestimate the the small things uh, the small touches of care that you can um, you can provide for someone who's walking through a difficult situation or a happy situation um, that that really brings us together as the body of Christ so John I appreciate you joining us uh, for this episode I appreciate uh, your work at the hospital and, and the encouragement that you've been to us Thanks for caring enough about a congregation to help them understand how to be involved in caring for one another. <laughs>